Welcome to episode 93 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for the week of March 17th, 2008. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. In this week's episode of the Fredcast, a memorial ride for two Bay Area cyclists. More on Alley Cat and Chicago bicycling. Olympic cycling is threatened by smog. The Landis hearing begins Wednesday. Pro cycling news, Schwinn sponsors team and training, and the Xtreme indoor cycling tool. Following the news, an upcoming event in Portland, and an interview with Gear Fisher from Peakswear. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. This episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by listeners just like you. Thanks for your donations via PayPal and for supporting the folks who support thefredcast.com. Click any of those links, get the same low prices as always, but the Fredcast gets just a little bit in order to support the show. Thanks so much. All the money you received goes to supporting the Fredcast. We appreciate it. Welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast. It's great to be with you, and I'm recording this on a Monday, giving myself a pat on the back for that one. Hey, listen, I told you that last week was MS Awareness Week, and I told you about the fact that we're starting a national team Fredcast. I've gotten some emails from a bunch of you expressing your interest in being the captain of Team Fredcast in your local area. I appreciate it. I will be getting back to each of you in the coming days and also probably be starting a special website just for Team Fredcast. In the meantime, here's yet one more public service announcement from the MS Society about Bike MS. Every year, Bike MS goes farther and pushes harder to raise money that will move us closer to a cure for multiple sclerosis. And that's where you come in. An unforgettable ride an unbeatable destination. Bike to create a world free of MS. Join the movement. So join the movement. Join the Fredcast. Team Fredcast, that is, as we get ready to ride as many of the more than 100 Bike MS events around the country. You're going to be on your bike anyway. You're going to do charity rides. Do it with Team Fredcast. Join our movement and help us fight multiple sclerosis. I really appreciate your support. If you're interested in getting involved, send me an email. It's thefredcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in becoming a Fredcast captain or a team Fredcast captain, just put team Fredcast into the subject line. Thanks for your indulgence. Now let's get on with the show. Topping the news this week is a follow-up to a story I brought you last week. And that was the story about the tragedy that occurred up in Cupertino, California last week when bike racers Matt Peterson and Christy Goff were struck and killed by a sheriff's deputy who crossed the center line in his patrol car when he, well, purportedly was asleep at the wheel. Cyclists were killed, and in a somber ceremony last Saturday, over a thousand cyclists got together to pay tribute to their fallen comrades. They started a ride at Foothill College, as we discussed last week, and the San Jose Mercury News posted a video produced by Patrick Tehan and David M. Barreda, and I thought I would play you the audio from that video. And of course, there's a link in the show notes to where you can find the video, but I think the audio alone 
says it all. I think it's important. Um, uh, it's an important opportunity to make make a statement. I uh, came here just as uh, you know, and, uh, respect out of you know for the people that uh, were fatally injured, and um, you know, just kind of feel a little bit you know bad for them, and feel the compassion, and you know, we wanted to do something. My son, you know, asked if I was going to ride, and I said, yeah, and it sounds good, and so we decided to come out here. And like the last speaker said, I hope that's true. I hope that what people do take from this is a greater awareness when they're driving their car, when they're riding their bike, when they're walking, whatever it is that they're doing. We hope that that others will learn from this absolutely unnecessary tragedy. Of course, our hearts go out to the families involved and to the friends and the families of those who were killed. And of course, the, the other rider who was injured. From the articles that I've been reading, he's been dealing with quite a lot of psychological trauma as a result of this accident. I don't know what's going to happen to the deputy, deputy counsel. When I do, I will let you know. But if there's one thing that I hope that we will all take, it is that greater awareness when we're riding, and of course, a greater understanding of how precious and fragile each and every one of our lives are. By the way, one of our listeners, uh, listener Curtis, posted a uh, blog entry on his blog about his participation in the ride and also some photos up on his Flickr site. So I would encourage you to go to the show notes and take a look at those. And then finally, the other thing that I would encourage you to do is remember last week I talked about that UK ad, uh, the awareness test. Uh, again, I've put a link in the show notes to today's show, and I recommend that you go and try out that test and that you pass that around with some of your friends and family so that they can get the full impact of it as well. And then hopefully they will pass it around. It has gone a bit viral. I've seen it all over the internet in the last week on bike blogs and Twitter and places like that. But uh, doesn't hurt to pass it around just a little bit more. Now, my friend Carlton Reed, Carlton Reed, don't kill me, Carlton. My friend Carlton Reed from bikebiz.com and quickrelease.tv notes that while the awareness test is indeed eye-opening, it is not the first time this concept has been used, and he is going to try to get an interview with one of the originators of the original awareness test. And if he does, I will make sure to bring you uh, a link to that interview right here on the show. But still, in the meantime, it's worth checking out. It's dothetest.co.uk. Every once in a while, I do a story here on the show that really fires your interest, and Two weeks ago, I did a story about an alley cat race in Chicago called the Tour de Chicago. And 
It was about how a cyclist was killed, and we talked about my feelings about uh, what I felt was a senseless death and about my confusion over why people might want to participate in alley cat races. Well, I've received a lot of email, a couple of voicemails on the subject, and I wanted to share with you just two of those so you get an idea of the different kinds of reactions that I'm getting to this. So the first is a voicemail that I got over the weekend from listener Wes. To be fair, uh, Wes did ask if I would uh, give him a call and follow up with him. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get to it until Monday, and uh, Wes and I just did not connect. So here is what Wes had to say in his voicemail. Hey, David. I'm a Fred. Uh, My name is Wes, and I was a little intrigued when I heard your uh, show on um, alley cat racing because I uh, I participated in and uh, helped to organize um, alley cat races myself. Um, And uh, frankly, I care more about when the next fun little gathering is going to be than who's leading in Paris-Nice or what the politics of the UCI are. It's just, life is not a spectator sport, and I don't feel cycling should be either. I don't encourage people when uh, I'm uh, out racing to uh, break traffic laws, but at the same time, uh, I think many of us take the approach of an organic cyclist who uh, tries to flow with traffic. And part of uh, the way that we often ride is that if you come to a traffic light, and there's no traffic coming, by all means, go ahead and proceed through. But it's at your risk. And um, if you are uh, being a responsible user of the road, then you don't blow through the uh, uh, the, the uh, traffic light and cause cars or other bicyclists that have the green light to have to slow down for you. That's reckless. Um, so I'm not, a, I'm not a big proponent of... Uh, Bicycles always unfeelingly obeying traffic laws. However, when uh, um, there is vehicle traffic in the area, I certainly feel that it's uh, more than appropriate to do so. Um, welcome to give me a call. I'd love to talk to you more about this. Uh, um, most of the alley cat races that I put on are more of a scavenger hunt variety um, where there's uh, uh, sometimes we even do alley cats. Uh, recently did one that they uh, gathered over 80 pounds of food for a uh, local food bank. And the race was from supermarket to supermarket. And at each supermarket, you had to buy a couple of items and then return with receipts um, and all the items on the shopping list. So that was listener Wes and his take on alley cat races. And you know what? The the scavenger hunt sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, On the other hand, Wes, as you well know from my recent commentary, I don't necessarily agree with uh, what you call being an organic cyclist or not always following traffic laws or encouraging others to not always follow traffic laws. Am I going to say that I've never uh, blown a stop sign? No, I'd be lying. Am I going to say that I, I I never rolled through a red light when it was completely clear and there weren't cars around for miles and miles and it was early in the morning? Absolutely not. We've all done that. Uh, but when we're talking about a, a race, when people are paying a lot of attention to their speed and a lot of attention to their competitors, I 
don't understand how you can also uh, pay attention to whether or not there are cars coming uh, when you're approaching an intersection at a uh, very high rate of speed. So that's just my take on it. I really appreciate yours and I respect your view. Now, let's hear from an email that I received from another listener. This is listener Mike. Mike says, I wanted to send a few comments about this week's show, specifically your comments about the alley cat races and the need to change traffic laws to protect cyclists. I believe that I understand this need as well as anyone out there. While riding my bike, I've been hit by two vans, a taxi cab, and two motorcycles. I have friends who have been hit by semi-trucks and other friends who have been run off the road by irresponsible drivers. While I do believe that traffic laws do need some help, I am also an advocate for cyclist responsibility. I believe that although laws can and should help us, ultimately, the responsibility lies with the rider. I have lived in and ridden thousands of miles in a country whose traffic laws were as extreme in favor of cyclists and pedestrians as I have ever seen, and I can tell you that the laws can only help so much. I, like you, live in Utah, and I've seen some bad cycling attitude among many cyclists here. I see many riders here who seem to have the attitude that cyclists own the road and can do whatever they want. I see people riding as many as four riders wide on narrow, busy roads, and these riders get mad and make gestures when they have to move out of the way of the cars. I know that these people are not the majority, but this attitude seems to be becoming more and more common. And I think these people only aggravate drivers and endanger the rest of us. I think that we as cyclists need to remember that the roads were not built for us. They were, in fact, built specifically for cars. While most of my car cyclist accidents were the fault of the other vehicle drivers, I must claim at least some responsibility for some of them. One in particular happened because I was riding too fast at a time of day when visibility was low, and I hope we all can continue or start to ride safely. So, Mike, I think that you're presenting a little bit more of a pragmatic approach, a little bit closer to my view in that uh, uh, we as cyclists, if we want to gain more motorist respect, because let's face it, folks, a lot of our fellow cyclists have helped us lose the respect of a lot of motorists. If we want to regain some of that respect, and if we want, if we want to expect motorists to obey the laws, we need to be a better example when we're out there on the roads. And that includes refraining from alley cat racing. That's just my opinion. Now, I'm not going to beat this to a pulp. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I think I've said all I'm going to say. I certainly will welcome more comments from the rest of you. For commentary from a fellow cyclist and a Chicago Tribune writer, I'll point you to the show notes at www.thefredcast.com. There's a commentary in the Chicago Tribune that I think that you will find very interesting. It's along these lines and also along the lines of Mayor Daly's new bike ordinance. As you probably know, the Olympics are coming up this year, this summer in Beijing, China. And a number of athletes have expressed concern about air quality in Beijing, specifically one in particular world marathon record holder, Haile Gebrselassie from Ethiopia, mentioned that he is unlikely to compete in Beijing because of worries about how the air quality in Beijing might affect his asthma. Well, this week, the International Olympic Committee revealed that they are looking into the situation with the air quality in Beijing and that if necessary, they will activate a plan B for such events as marathon, road cycling, and the triathlon. Specifically, they're looking at endurance sports that take place 
over a period lasting longer than one hour. According to the International Olympic Committee, they're looking at procedures which will allow a plan B to be activated for such events if necessary. But what they didn't talk about is a possible change of venue. So for those of you who might think that maybe they'll move it outside the city or to another location for these events, so far, they're not talking about that. Now, the Medical Commission's chairman, Arnie Lundqvist, said, quote, it may be that some events will not be conducted under optimal conditions, which is the reality of sports competitions, and that we may not see records broken in Beijing. However, the games are more about competing in the Olympic spirit than about breaking records. For a few sports where we do see a possible risk, we will monitor the situation daily during the games and take whatever decisions are needed at that time to ensure the athlete's health is protected. The IOC is confident that measures already put in place, plus those planned by Beijing organizers and city authorities, will continue to improve the city's air quality leading up to and during the Games. To which I can only say, let's hope. Meanwhile, in New York on Wednesday, we will see the beginning of the final appeal for Floyd Landis. Floyd Landis will go in front of the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and his case, his final case, begins Wednesday, March 19th at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time and finishes Monday, March 24th. The hearing will take place in the law firm of Debevoise and Plimpton on 3rd Avenue in New York and, in accordance with Court of Arbitration for Sport regulations, unlike his trial last year in Malibu at Pepperdine University, this one will not be open to the public. And... Contrary to what happened in the first hearing, the parties have agreed not to make this hearing public. The panel of arbitrators in charge of this case is composed of Mr. David Williams from Auckland, New Zealand, Mr. Jan Paulson from Paris, France, and Mr. David W. Rifkin from New York City. Now, the Court of Arbitration for Sport will not be commenting on this case until it is concluded, meaning that we will not hear anything from them until March the 24th. Meanwhile, the Associated Press released a story earlier in the weekend announcing the fact that, quote, American taxpayers would be paying for this case. Specifically, what they're talking about isn't that American taxpayers are paying for Floyd's defense. No, Floyd and the Floyd Fairness Fund and all of his other donors are paying for the defense but American taxpayers do pay USADA's portion. That's the United States Anti-Doping Agency's portion. And typically, USADA has about a $12 million annual budget. That does come from the federal government, and it's used for testing athletes in various sports. However, according to the AP, when all of USADA's expenses are added up, it's possible that prosecuting the Landis case from the beginning to the end could eat up between 5 and 10% of the agency's annual budget, again, according to the Associated Press. Now, the AP talked to USADA CEO Travis Tigert on Friday, and he said, quote, Generally, we would always prefer to spend our time and resources in supporting clean athletes and not having to prosecute guilty ones. But justice takes time and money, and that's part of the process we have in the United States. Athletes have the right to defend themselves when they have positives tests. Interestingly, by the way, uh, the AP notes, this is considered 
a, quote, trial de novo, meaning this is a completely new case. That doesn't, that means that this isn't technically considered an appeal of the decision in Pepperdine. This is a completely new case being heard anew in front of new arbitrators, and this will be his court of last resort. I wonder, however, let's say, for example, Floyd is found innocent of the charges in this case. I wonder, what will cycling fans think? Will there always be a cloud hanging over his head? Will they accept him back into the pro peloton? And what team, perhaps short of rock racing, uh, would be hiring Floyd Landis? It could be, well, it could be once again, interesting times in the world of cycling. We'll see what happens in this case. Now, I know when I start talking about professional cycling, some of you tune out, and that's fine. But this story, while it's about a professional cyclist, is more about humanity, and it's one that I hope you'll listen to because it, it, it just screams for reform. As you well know, professional cyclists can be tested anytime and anywhere, and they are frequently surprised at some inner, inopportune moments. And there are plenty of people who feel that that's just fine because they believe that such out-of-competition testing is one of the best ways to ensure against out-of-competition doping. And that's fine. However, consider the situation of Belgian cyclist Kevin Van Impe from Team Quickstep. Van Impe was at a funeral home last week arranging for the, the funeral and the cremation of his son. His son was born prematurely and died six hours later, and Van Impe was well, taking care of the arrangements, as any good father would, and as you can imagine, he was grief-stricken. Who should show up? But a doping inspector who demanded that he provide a sample right then and there, and told him that if he didn't provide the sample, there was a good chance that he could be sanctioned by the UCI. Van Impe told Sport.be, quote, he wouldn't even come back later in the day. It was either do it right on the spot or it would be taken as if I had refused. The Belgian news agency quoted Flemish sport minister as saying, quote, the law is the law, but you must take a human perspective. I can well understand the rider had other things on his mind at the time of the test. In support of Van Impe, the riders participating in Paris-Nice last weekend delayed the final stage by 10 minutes as a protest over that drug test imposed on Kevin Van Impe earlier in the week. It is absolutely amazing to me that this took place. According to the Professional Cyclist Association, quote, given that riders who are above all human beings understand and accept the test that they have to undergo, they expect in turn that their dignity is respected. And I think that that, at a minimum, is what we can expect out of doping control inspectors. And speaking of Perry Nice, when last we spoke, stage three had been completed and Sylvain Chavanel was sitting in first place in the general classification. The race did end this weekend as they raced to the sun in Nice. And the final victor in the general classification was David Rebellin from Italy and Team Gerolsteiner in 29 hours, 2 minutes and 48 seconds. Second place, Rinaldo Nocentini from Italy, from AG2R, just three seconds behind David Rebellin in one of the closest finishes 
ever in the general classification in Paris-Nice. Third place went to Yaroslav Popovich from Ceylon Slotto, 48 seconds back. Fourth, Robert Gessink from the Netherlands and Team Robobank, 51 seconds back. And in fifth, Luis Leon Sanchez from Spain and Cast Aparna, one minute, nine seconds back. And in case you're wondering, France's Sylvain Chavanel from Cofidis finished in ninth place, two minutes and 39 seconds back. Remember, Perry Nice took place this year under strong protest from the UCI, and the UCI is still threatening to sanction riders who took place. No word yet as to what is going to happen, and I will keep you posted right here on the Fredcast. Meanwhile, we are expecting later this week that the Amori Sports Organization, or ASO, the organizers of Perry Nice and the Tour de France, will be announcing which teams they are planning on inviting to the 2008 Tour de France. Now, so far, we are all led to understand that one of the teams that they will not be inviting will be Team Astana because of the actions of Team Astana in the 2007 Tour de France. Now, while some of the team members are still on Astana, who were on the team last year, there are a number of new team members and new team management, including Johan Brunil, Levi Leipheimer, and of course, defending champion from last year's Tour de France, Alberto Contador. Speaking on the Contador situation to Spain's El Mundo daily newspaper, Pat McQuaid, the president of the UCI, vowed to back Alberto Contador if he decides to take any action against ASO. According to El Mundo, quote, if Contador decides to take legal action in Spain or internationally, myself and the UCI will give evidence in his favor and I will be a witness. McQuaid went on to say, I know Contador and the people around him, and I know that he is clean and an honest rider. Very strong words from Pat McQuaid, especially that part about clean. Uh, I think that, that McQuaid is, as we all know, locked in this bitter battle with ASO and will do whatever he can to try to gain more control over the Tour de France and over the Pro Tour. It'll be interesting later this week to see who the Tour de France decides to invite once and for all. There was a quick blurb last week that you might have missed if you weren't Johan Brunil, but I happened to notice this one. And it was a comment that the director of the Tour de France, Christian Prudhomme, made to a Belgium news magazine saying that he's considering banning race radios in some stages of this year's Tour de France, specifically perhaps in the mountain stages. Now, interestingly, on February the 15th, the UCI announced that they had formed a working group to treat the question of radio transmissions and coaching during competitions, in particular considering the use of earphones. Now, of course, Last week, you may recall that I reviewed Johan Brunil's forthcoming book, We Might As Well Win. And Johan has a few things to say about race radios. Specifically, Johan talks about the fact in Chapter 4 that he was one of the first race directors to believe that every single member of his team should have a race radio. And he goes on to say, that first year, the radios were a huge advantage because we could react faster. But now that all the teams have them, for all their riders, the field has been evened. Everything, for everyone, happens faster. For instance, we used to have to spend two minutes or more figuring out which riders had made it into a breakaway, as chatter made its way rider by rider through the pack and back to the team cars. 
That gave, gave the attacking riders a lot of time to organize and put distance between themselves and the pack. Now, in 20 to 30 seconds, I can marshal the whole team to the front to mount a chase if we decide that the riders who got away have to be brought back to the pack. When it comes to tactics, the radios don't suddenly make you say brilliant things. They merely let you communicate the same things more quickly. So, in terms of strategy, the benefit is not that great. People always seem surprised to hear me say that. I think fans expect me to be whispering some kind of top-secret tactical code to the riders. But after spending seven years in Lance's ear, I can tell you that you'd be disappointed. In fact, if someone handed you a transcript of everything Lance and I had ever said to each other over the radios, the content is more mundane than sparkling. So at first, when I heard this news, I'll be honest with you, at first my, my initial reaction was I was upset. How could they take the radios away from the teams? They, they use those for tactics and strategy. And then I went back to Johan's book and I thought about it and I decided, you know what? It might actually make for a more exciting cycling race, especially in the mountains of the Tour de France, if the riders have to get along on their own and use their own heads and their own smarts and their own skills and teamwork instead of using the team directors. And so right now, I'm fine with it. Let them take the radios away for a couple of, of stages and let's see how it works. It might be kind of fun to get back to the old days of professional cycling. Well, one announcement that came out last week that you just couldn't have missed, especially if you were looking at cycling blogs, news sites, and Twitter, it was all over the place. And that is the decision by Computer Sciences Corporation to end their sponsorship of Team CSC at the end of 2008. I suppose that this doesn't come as that big of a surprise. Now, it may come as a surprise that it's CSC, but all of the scandals that have gone on in professional cycling over the last couple of years, the writing has been on the wall. So whether it was T-Mobile or Discovery or fill in the name of sponsor here, we've been losing sponsors of professional cycling quite a bit over the last couple of years because of what's gone on with all of these scandals. In a statement, CSC said, quote, Team CSC's current main sponsor, the information technology company CSC, is leaving professional cycling when its contract expires at the end of this year. CSC indicated the decision reflects a shift in priorities as the company makes new investments to implement a strategic long-term growth plan. Meanwhile, Henrik Bo Peterson, the CSC executive responsible for overseeing the sponsorship, said, quote, Our involvement in the sport of cycling has been a positive and productive experience. We will continue to support the team and exercise our sponsorship rights during the 2008 season. At the same time, we're committed to helping the team secure a new title sponsor. Bjarne Ries, the team manager, went on to say, quote, This marks the beginning of something new for us, and I know that we're ready to go out and show the world that we are here to stay. We have an exceptional product with worldwide exposure that we can offer to a new sponsor. I'm optimistic about the future, even though cycling has its challenges. We have a team that is ready to lead the way and an organization that is up for the task at hand. I have no doubt that if Bjarne Reese wants to find another sponsor, he will do so. CSC has been consistently at the top of professional cycling for a number of years. And if he can keep the team together, I think that we will see Team CSC again next year, albeit with new uniforms and a new sponsor.
Here's a piece of news that I thought was really unique and actually quite exciting, and it has to do with sponsorship, but in a much more positive way than the previous story. Last week, March 13th, Schwinn Bicycles, America's most recognized bicycle brand, announced the signing of a partnership with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Team in Training. Team in Training is the world's largest endurance sports training and fundraising program, and this will be the first ever national bicycle sponsor for team in training. Under the terms of the two-year agreement, Schwinn will become the exclusive bicycle sponsor of TNT starting April the 1st, 2008. With the help of its dealer partners nationwide, Schwinn will provide relevant cycling information, bike demos, on-site event support, and product discounts to the 39,000, count them, 39,000 cycling, triathlon, and marathon participants who train and fundraise through team in training every single year. According to Steve Reed's executive VP, VP and general manager of Schwinn's IBD division, quote, for more than 100 years, Schwinn has helped people realize their two-wheel dreams. We are honored to carry on this tradition by helping team and training participants achieve their training goals. Now, if you're not familiar with team and training, it's now in its 20th year, and TNT participants have raised more than $850 million dollars for life-saving cancer research and to help blood cancer patients live longer, better lives. The program provides coaching to help support participants crossing the finish line at centuries, triathlons, and marathons. Nancy Klein, Senior Vice President and Marketing Communications, said, quote, over 20 years, we've seen team and training expand from a single sport program, the marathon, to a multi-endurance sport program with challenges such as triathlons and 100-mile rides. We are thrilled to have Schwinn support because it is a brand that people already know and trust. Now, if you're not familiar with team and training, it really is a very amazing program. How many of us have been to centuries or triathlons and been riding next to folks in their team and training jerseys? And they come with their own rooting squad. You hear them all along the route, go team! Basically, what team and training is all about is taking somebody who is a beginner cyclist, beginner runner, beginner triathlete, somebody with zero experience and turning them into a century rider, a marathon finisher, or a triathlete. It's a great program. It helps the individual achieve their athletic goals, and it helps the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society raise, I can't believe it, $850 million so far. If you're interested in team and training, I do have a link in the show notes and also in the enhanced podcast. And finally, for those of you who are indoor cycling enthusiasts, I've got a new product to tell you about. This one is called the X-Dream that's X as in X-ray, D as in Delta, R-E-A-M. The X-Dream is supposed to be, quote, the first indoor fitness product that accurately simulates the experience of riding outdoors. That's what I thought I was getting on my CompuTrainer and other similar products out there, but let's read on, shall we? That means you'll have real gears, brakes, handlebars, pedals, cranks, and seat sensors that enable each move you make to be accurately portrayed on the screen in front of you. So in other words, this is an indoor stationary bike. This does not bring your outdoor bike indoors. It's another indoor stationary bike, but it's got a computer monitor and it simulates cycling, very similar to the way CompuTrainer and similar, similar products do. But when you move 
So does your little avatar on the screen. So that's kind of cool. And it could be really good for inclement weather. And if you live in a big city and you just want to ride inside, however, be forewarned. The cost of this product is currently $8,999. But according to the article I read, just to make you feel better, delivery installation and product training for the customer are included. And the price includes a two-year warranty. As far as I can tell, this is available in the UK only right now. But when it comes to the US and to other countries, I'll be sure to let you know so that you can drop your nine grand on a bike that you can only ride indoors. Have fun. That's it for the news for this episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Well, at this point, I have to be honest with you. I had planned to do another product review on this week's show. This would be a review of a couple of uh, PDA GPSs that I came across. One from Allen Sports, that's the Allen Sports Navigator, and another from Garmin, that's the Garmin Mobile 10. Unfortunately, because I've got an interview that lasted, oh, about 25 minutes, that would just make the show way too long. So we're going to get to just one upcoming event, and then we'll get into that interview coming right up. Look for those GPS reviews on next week's show. And of course, uh, for those of you who are waiting for my review of the Garmin Edge 705, unfortunately, we're all going to have to wait just a little bit longer. I got an email uh, earlier, pardon me, late last week from Garmin saying that they should be getting some demo units delivered in the next couple of weeks. And as soon as they get one, it will be on its way to me. So I apologize. I wish I could be giving you that review a little bit sooner. Uh, I'm just not ready to plunk down the money myself on the Edge 705. So I'm at the mercy of Garmin's PR department. And when they decide in their infinite wisdom to send one to the Fredcast. Um, I know it's not just me because I know Carlton Reed in the UK is having the exact same issues. It would be nice to have one on hand. Unfortunately, folks, I don't. When I get it, I will review it quickly and get it up on the Fredcast. For those of you in the northwest of the United States, I found out about an event that sounds like a lot of fun, and this takes place at the Portland International Raceway. Now, don't tune away. Don't skip this track. I'm not talking about NASCAR. I'm talking about on Monday nights in the summertime, how hundreds of cyclists take over Portland International Raceway as Lakeside Bicycles Monday Night Races kicks off its 12th season. Really amazing. Series organizer Jim Anderson was quoted as saying, Bicycle racing continues to grow at Portland International Raceway, and we see new racers each year trying it out. We're adding clinics for novice women who want to see what the sport is all about in hopes of seeing a growth in the women's fields. Also, with the addition of the track being repaved, we expect our great bike racing venue to be packed with racers this summer right in Portland's backyard. The series has also added clinics that will run on the second Monday of every month, and that these uh, clinics will focus on the basics of how to get started in racing. All levels and all abilities are welcomed and encouraged to attend the racing. All that's required is a helmet, a road bike, and they say, a sense of adventure. Experienced riders from local racing teams are there to provide guidance and answer questions. There's separate races for novice masters men, novice women, two categories for more experienced masters men, and an open women category for women of any age and ability. Get this. The course is the flat and wide 1.9-mile loop of Portland International Raceway, featuring high-quality pavement for cycling. The raceway circuit is closed to all car traffic, thank goodness, for the Monday night bike races. 
Entry fees are $13 for women and master's men, $5 for women under 18. And if you avoid the traffic by bike commuting, carpooling, or taking Max, you'll receive $1 off your entry, and the organizers will donate $1 to the Bicycle Transportation Alliance, a local nonprofit working to make Oregon one of the best places in the world to ride a bike. And that, by the way, is the truth. So for those of you who race, what can you win? Gift certificates to Lakeside Bicycles. I think that's great. Uh, the racing starts at 6.15 on Monday nights, May the 5th through August the 25th, although there is no racing on July the 21st. For more information, go to www.racemondaynight.com. And of course, there's a link in the show notes and in the enhanced podcast. You know, if there's one product that more and more of you have written to me and asked me to review on the show, it is Cycling Peaks Software. You know, a lot of us, when we buy our electronic gizmos, we get that CD in the box that says Cycling Peaks. And sometimes a lot of you have, have emailed me and said, I just don't understand what is Cycling Peaks? Why would I want it? What can it do for me? And over the last couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to try out Cycling Peaks. I've mentioned it here on the show. And I've gotten to know uh, some of the folks over at Training Peaks and Peakswear. And I had the opportunity last week to have a phone conversation with Gear Fisher from Training Peaks and Peakswear to find out more information about Cycling Peaks so that I could bring it to you and also about some of the other products that the company makes. It is a relatively long interview. I am not editing it because there is a lot of good information here for those of you who are looking for more products to enhance your cycling and your training. So, here is my interview with Gear Fisher from Training Peaks. I'm on the phone with Gear Fisher. Now, Gear is one of the co-founders and currently the chief technology officer for a company called Peaksware. Now, if you're not familiar with the name Peaksware, you're probably familiar with the name Cycling Peaks and Training Peaks, and we're going to get into all of that. Gear, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Oh, it is my pleasure. Now, as you know, and I think as some of the listeners know, because I've talked about it from time to time on the show, I have been using your Cycling Peaks. Well, wait a minute. It's not Cycling Peaks anymore, but I've been using the software that everybody knows as Cycling Peaks. You call it WKO Plus now. Let's start there. Tell me a little bit about WKO Plus, uh, who it was designed for, what it is designed to do. You bet. I'll go ahead and start at the beginning, which is a few years ago. Uh, Hunter Allen, uh, coach uh, with the Peaks Coaching Group, is the founder and guy who started training with power and realized there weren't enough pieces of software and tools out there to get done what he wanted to get done. And he employed the help of a noted physiologist, uh, Dr. Andy Coggin, and a very good programmer by the name of Kevin Williams. Um, and those three guys collaborated on the original Cycling Peaks about four years ago, and its entire design was to empower people training with a wattage meter, SRM, power tap, and provide more information out of that data to help uh, self-coached users and, and even coaches um, basically figure out ways to, to train better through the use of power meters. Um, back in 2005, uh, we got together with Hunter. Uh, at the time, we were Training Bible, uh, the company, and we were the web-based product. 
Hunter was cycling peaks and we ended up joining forces and that's when we changed the name Training Bible back then to Training Peaks, a combination of Cycling Peaks and Training Bible. And that product has since continued to grow, you know, and we've evolved it quite a bit over the years. Um, it's probably most noted for its uh, invention of training stress score and intensity factor, TSS and IF, which are new ways to help quantify the amount of work or uh, load a person is doing. And uh, it's really enabled through using a power meter. Uh, the original intent of Cycling Peaks was really to give these kind of hardcore users uh, a better graphs, easier way to interact with data, uh, but not make it so overbearing. Um, and since then, we've continued to, um, you know, work on the product itself. Its current release version is uh, version 2.2 now, and we've, you know, integrated more and more devices that it's compatible with because what we what we generically realized is that it's a great software program for analyzing device data. So we made it compatible with more heart rate monitors. We made it compatible with GPS devices. And, you know, we're going to continue to go down that path so that it becomes easier to use. And ultimately, our goal is to provide software that helps you figure out how to go faster and or how to get better, how to reach my goals. Now, you, you, so, mentioned, you mentioned the fact that a lot of people are using it with coaches. It's, it's the way that I'm using uh, WKO Plus and Training Peaks is, is with my coach. Um, but there's so much data there, uh, so much data that's available from your power meter, from your GPS, from your heart rate monitor. Um, how does WKO Plus help people make sense of all that data and use it to enhance their training? Sure. Well, the first uh, thing you notice about uh, WKO Plus, which is uh, to finish the conversation, uh, is the evolution of where Cycling Peaks went. We needed to expand beyond just cycling, and we needed a more generic term, uh, and uh, it just became WKO Plus, uh, basically named after the file format of WKO. Hmm. But its biggest uh, asset, I think, was the user interface that was um, – basically a dashboard of graphs. And every time you do a workout and download your device, you see a visual representation of what you just did on your bike or during your run, etc. The power of it also comes in the speed at which it performs its calculations. Um, kind of the unheralded but certainly noticed um, feature of the software is that it can crunch a lot of data really quickly. And it gives you just uh, some very nice graphing and um, overall charting capabilities that not a lot of other programs uh, were capable of, especially in its day, you know, two, three years ago. We've evolved that now to where we're trying to get it all boiled down to you just download your device and without pushing any buttons, you can see all your charts update and it's motivational as well as enables you, again, without really pushing any buttons, to see if you're getting faster. And you can see if you're getting faster by tracking, you know, your uh, critical power outputs for certain periods and monitor your uh, uh, performance manager chart, which is a whole other topic of discussion that we could get into. But uh, those are some of the really key valuable things out of the product. Now, a lot of these, these electronic devices that we've talked about, they come with bundled software. 
Uh, how do you view uh, your software as compared to a lot of that bundled software that comes, you know, with the SRMs and the power taps and things like that? Yeah, great question. Uh, essentially, our position in the market is that we're the um, we're the upgrade to the stuff that comes uh, from the manufacturer, and certainly the manufacturers uh, with whom we have very good relationships with Garmin, with Uli at SRM, and uh, the other folks out there. But uh, all we do, being a software company, is focus on software. We don't build hardware. Um, our entire staff of, you know, 16 people now are purely a software company. So we're able to spend more time developing, um, you know, anal analytical metrics, um, new uh, compatibility that the manufacturers mainly just have to include software in order for people to use their hardware. We try and actually make your hardware more valuable with our software. And all of the hardware uh, vendors kind of seem to get that, um, working from, you know, Timex, which we've worked with for the last five years, and Garmin as they came onto the scene. A lot of these folks uh, – call us up and ask us to actually come in and consult with them on the design of their own software and what should we do and, um, you know, loosely put or analogously, it's like, uh, you know, you get a stereo in your Chevy, but you can always go down and buy an Alpine or, uh, you know, a, a, another high-end stereo and plug into your car, and we are that high-end stereo. Sure, sure makes sense. Now, you also talked about developing more metrics, and you mentioned earlier TSFs and IFF, and we see that more and more. Tell us a little bit about that and how athletes are able to use that to increase their performance. You bet. This is uh, definitely one of the hallmarks of uh, where we've come, and Hunter was instrumental in this as well as Andy Coggin. Hunter, the coach, uh, basically went to Andy, the the super smart uh, physiologist, and said, you know what, i got to have something more than duration, more than hours, better than heart rate zones and, you know, even power zones. I need a number that quantifies the amount of, you know, essentially stress that I put a rider through when I prescribe them to do a workout. And the whole beauty of TSS, which is training stress score, and IF, which is intensity factor, is that combined, the, they basically can uh, tell the amount of physiological stress put on a person's body. What's particularly cool about them and what really makes them neat is that they are um, all based on an individual rider's threshold. So unlike heart rate, unlike even power output, where 400 watts is 400 watts, but if I weigh 300 pounds and the guy next to me is 150 pounds, uh, the end result is something dramatically different in terms of uh, velocity. The TSS number, the, the training stress score, if I go out and do 200 TSS points or Lance Armstrong goes out and does 200 TSS points, the relative effect on each of our bodies is the same. So he put his body through the same amount of stress as I did, even though it only took me two hours to get 200 TSS points, and it might take Lance Armstrong, you know, uh, three hours or maybe even an hour, depending on how hard he's going. Mm -hmm. So the two numbers together uh, are based on, just for reference sake, 
Um, going out and riding your bike as hard as you can for an hour, that would essentially be a threshold workout for one hour, loosely equivalent to doing a 40K time trial. That would be a 100 point, uh, 100 points of training stress score workout with an intensity factor of 1.0. Mm-hmm. So in your head, you can figure if I do 200 TSS points, it's essentially doing two one-hour threshold uh, workouts uh, back-to-back, or I could say I went and rode for four hours uh, but at only half the intensity of my threshold effort. So you can accumulate these stress points in a lot of different ways. Uh, The intensity factor relays in there whether you're doing sprints and intervals or whether you are doing, um, you know, slow rides, et cetera. So at the end of the day, 200 TSS points can be achieved many different ways. I can do a six-hour ride over the flats, or I can do a a two-and-a-half-hour ride up Mount Evans here in Colorado and achieve 200 points. Um, So what's what's really the uh, key factor to that is specificity still matters. It, It still matters if you're training for an Ironman that you get in a lot of uh, base workouts and sprinting doesn't really matter. But uh, TSS gives us a whole other way to look at training load besides just, well, I rode for three hours or I spent 20 minutes in heart rate zone two, uh, which are all variable uh, based on a lot of other factors. Uh, TSS is kind of absolute thanks to the power meter. And and for me, I know that, that before I started using, well, WKO plus before I started using a power meter, certainly before I started using a coach, you know, I was that guy who went out and said, well, I rode for four hours. Did I know what um, effect that had on my physiology? Did I know how much uh, in how much better shape I was going to be uh, a week later? No, but with the, you know, there's one, there's a big difference between data and information. I can get that data right on my handlebars, but your software seemed to be able to get, be able to translate that into information that I and my coach can use to increase my fitness over time. And that's really where TSS and IFF come in, aren't they? Well, what you just said there is exactly what we're hoping the world repeats is that, (laughs) yeah, these are numbers, but they can actually describe something that is happening. And you can use this data ultimately to plan and um, increase the likelihood that you perform well at a given event. And at the end of the day, for the competitive slash recreational rider that's hoping to do a, a century or, you know, obviously a, a racer that wants to win a state road race, planning your season such that you meet your goals at a particular point in time is ultimately what it's all about. And TSS and IF uh, help increase the likelihood that you can do that by giving you some new uh, metrics in order to track. Now, you guys do something really cool that I didn't realize until we started talking a couple of months ago. You know, I, I can look at the at the data, I can look at the information, and I can get an idea of uh, lagging indicators, if you will. But, you know, you're, you need to look at what you want, where, where your goal is, as you just said, what event you're trying to peak for. And just sort of as an enthusiastic cyclist or an enthusiast cyclist, I never really knew how to put all that together into a training plan uh, until I started working with a coach. But you guys offer a virtual coach, and I'm curious as to how that works. 
You bet. Um, we have what we call the virtual coach, or maybe more generically, is an annual training plan wizard that essentially it's like a, a five-step questionnaire that walks you through a number of uh, questions that helps us assess your current fitness level, uh, decide what your goals are, whether that's a uh, you know completing a marathon or doing a uh, uh, century ride or you know trying to place at the state TTs. Then we actually um, use some intelligence to calculate out um, an annual training plan, which uh, this whole system is based on Joe Friel's Training Bible series of books, uh, to where we build a periodized ATP for you and then actually suggest workouts. Um, and uh, for the cycling discipline, uh, obviously of interest to your uh, listeners, uh, actually even tells you down to the hours and, and workouts of what to do each week. So it's a it's a low-cost way of having a coach. Um, it's designed for the, I would say, at least intermediate-type cyclist because we ask you questions during the process like, after a long ride, do you usually have um, fitness such that you feel good at the end of a ride or you're more tired than most? Mm. Well, if you've never gone out and done a, excuse me, a 60, 70-mile ride, you're not going to have any idea of that. Um, so it's not really for the beginner, but once you have a little bit of an idea, uh, what's cool about it is it truly does customize your workouts uh, for your future goals. It builds you a periodization plan. And this stuff is uh, elaborated on in depth in Joe's Training Bible books. So if you really want to learn more about what it's doing, you can uh, get one of his books. Beyond that, we have you know uh, hundreds of actual pre-built uh, training plans, which kind of take all of the the guesswork out of it, and you sort of qualify yourself for a pre-built training plan, and it will plop in a uh, 12 weeks to your you know best. Uh, century ride ever type of thing into our uh, training peaks virtual uh, calendar online wow so so that that really gives people a, a great um, uh, pro plan or program that they can follow now you you've also gotten you mentioned it earlier you've got the online component the the training peaks how does training peaks uh, interact with wko plus and some of the other products that you've got and and what is Training Peaks designed for? You bet. TrainingPeaks.com, the online uh, training log, is really the um, planning uh, and communications tool where WKO Plus comes in as kind of the uh, deep analysis and data collection tool. Generically around here, we talk about the cycle of mapping your fitness or mapping your training. And by map, we mean monitor, analyze, and plan your fitness. And our products, kind of like Microsoft Office, uh, has Word, Excel, and PowerPoint that each are specialized in what they do. Our products are rather specialized in what they do as well. But trainingpeaks.com is kind of the hub of it where... Um, using WKO, you can download your power meter, GPS, heart rate monitor, view that data um, both for a specific workout and data over time, like you know, looking at the last eight weeks of training all together. And then in a one-click uh, upload, you can upload your data from WKO Plus to trainingpeaks.com, 
which is the simplest way to share data with a friend and or coach if you happen to be using a coach. If you're self-coached, it's a great way for, a, you know, at the very least, online backup. But what's cool is uh, WKO Plus has the ability, this one-click uploadability, to send your data up to Training Peaks. You can log into Training Peaks and log a lot more information like uh, daily metrics, you know, pulse, how much you weigh, uh, hours slept. You can layer in other things like uploading photos, attaching other documents, you know, typing. Uh, a lot more information about routes, uh, GPS tracks, et cetera, all collected in one place. So, you know, even though uh, you might consider yourself a cyclist, there may be the occasional time when you're out cross-country skiing wearing your Garmin GPS device, or you may go for a jog here and there with your Polar, and on the bike you use a power tab. We collected data from all these different devices, and WKO and TrainingPeaks.com are the kind of uh, one-stop shop for all of your data to be in one place. And, you know, if you do decide to work with a coach, it's very easy because all your data is shared online. The coach can simply attach your account uh, to theirs, and they're able, the coach is able to instantly see your history and learn about you and what you've been doing and then uh, start working with you to prescribe your workouts uh, going forward. So WKO Plus is a, is a tremendous analysis tool and a kind of a lightweight training log, whereas trainingpeaks.com is a very powerful training log. It has some analysis as well, but it's also, because it's web-based, uh, a, a tremendous uh, communication tool between you and your coach or you and your friend sharing workouts and such. Yeah, and I've been using it that way to, to correspond with my coach, but I did find, and one of the first things that you mentioned, the, the extra added benefit of the online backup. Um, when I had a hard drive crash a couple of weeks ago, I emailed you and you told me it's very simple just to load all that data back up into WKO Plus and... I don't know, it took me maybe 30 seconds, and I, was, I had it all back on my computer even after the hard drive crash. So that was very helpful. Right. You're not the first one to, uh, to call me and thank me for that, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was um, And we're, we're, glad, we're glad to be there for that one. Um, you know, just uh, that's the nature of it. We, we're extremely diligent with the data and take that stuff, you know, extremely seriously, just like uh, – you know, a lot of web companies these days have to be extremely prudent about privacy and everything else. Mm -hmm. It's no joke for us. It pays our mortgages, and it's all we do. So uh, we can't afford any any lapses there. Now, we've talked about a couple of products already. We've talked about the virtual coach. We've talked about your training plans, WKO+. Plus. Uh, we've talked about uh, training peaks. There are prices associated with these. Do you, would you like to discuss that a little bit? Yeah, sure. In general... Uh, trainingpeaks.com online training log is $119 uh, per year subscription. So that works out to like $9.92 a month if you buy it uh, in the yearly chunks. Or you can just take it as it comes at $19.95 a month. Uh, WKO Plus is desktop software, traditional, you know, like Microsoft Word. You buy it and install it on your computer. That's $99. Um, for the uh, regular, you know, athlete version. Um, so we do sell a little bundle together. That's a bit of a discount. Um, I think we call that the, uh, oh, it's one of our bundles on the site. I can't remember the name of it. Pro Combo, I believe. Yeah, that's what it says uh, on the website. It's Pro Combo. Yeah, just had to ring my 
remind myself there. And then we have a few other products, um, primarily for CompuTrainer users that are ERG Plus, CRS Plus, and Real 3D. Uh, essentially what they do is help CompuTrainer users build ERG workouts, which is uh, the notion of the CompuTrainer taking you through a workout, so where it, it holds you at 200 watts, takes you up to 250 watts for five minutes, drops you back down to 150 watts for two minutes, and then takes to an interval at 400 watts for one minute. You can graphically design those types of workouts and then feed them into your CompuTrainer, and then the CompuTrainer walks you through the workout. Um, you know, you just sit there and pedal. Or the other mode of the CompuTrainer uh, is essentially uh, where you can feed the CompuTrainer a course, and you can pedal as hard as you want, so you're not held at a certain output level like a wattage, but it increases and decreases the resistance on you it's, um, as just as if you were going up a hill, down a hill, et cetera. So those products help you kind of graphically design courses. You can import uh, GPS files and recreate outdoor rides indoors. Uh, you can design ERG, file, uh, ERG workouts, et cetera. You know, I think that rounds out all of them. You know, when we first started talking a couple of months ago, and, and you know, I was just looking at, well, you know, I really need to get WKO Plus because I'm working with all these different power meters and a CompuTrainer and a coach and all of this. And I found out about just the sheer depth of products that you have. I was I was blown away. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you today and get you to, to really tell me and the listeners about all these different products is because I think most people, uh, for for whatever reason, there's a lot of people out there who, who only view you as the Cycling Peaks company or as the Training Peaks company. But you really have a lot of different products for athletes in training. Yeah, you know, it's it's been our hallmark to uh, really focus on what I would call the endurance market. So, you know, cycling, running, triathlon, duathlon, swimming, you know, and uh, endurance, mainly outdoor-based uh, workouts. And so we've we've spent the years um, really, really, really trying to meet the needs of that market, and we'll continue to do so. Um, you know, as we grow and move towards uh, other markets that are, you know, some perhaps more general fitness and uh, things like that. So that has been our hallmark and always, always will be our legacy and core of what we do. Sounds good. Very interesting. And I've really enjoyed talking to you today and learning more about uh, what Peakswear can offer to the competitive and to the uh, high-end recreational cyclist. Let everybody know where they can find more information and also um, whether or not you offer any demos on any of these products. Well, trainingpeaks.com is our home base for all of our products. And as far as demos and trials, you know, you're, we encourage anybody to contact us with questions. You know, we have full-time support staff here. If you're a coach, uh, we work with you, you know, often one-on-one -on -one in training for uh, using the software with your clients. Um, you know, we are very proud of the fact that, uh, you know, some 1,400 professional coaches use our software to communicate with their clients now. And uh, we're, we're very uh, excited to work with coaches because uh, we help them grow their businesses. And, and it's been neat to see coaches, um, you know, uh, grow from doing it out of their basement to making it their full-time job. But uh, we're happy to work with anybody that you can get a free trial of all of our software uh, cycling peaks or training peaks and uh, give it a run and have questions let us know
Great. Well, Gary, I appreciate you spending so much time with us today. And uh, hopefully uh, the listeners will go check out your products at trainingpeaks.com. We appreciate it very much. Hey, thank you, David. I appreciate it as well. Well, like I said, I had way more content for you tonight, but unfortunately we just ran out of time. We're over an hour and seven minutes and I do value your time. So I'll bring you more of that content next week. Look for those PDA GPS reviews from Allen Sports and from Garmin. In the meantime, just a couple of quick announcements and contact information. Don't forget the upcoming Fredcast Tour. We're going to be going from Salzburg to Venice, and that is June 25th through July 4th. Go to www.fredcasttours.com for more information. We do need more signups. I want to make sure that this trip goes. So please, if you're interested, contact me, go through fredcasttours.com and get signed up as quickly as possible. In the meantime, if you want to stay abreast of everything that's going on at the Fredcast and in my life, you can follow me on Twitter. There is a link in the show notes. And of course, to follow me, you would just go to twitter.com slash fredcast or using your cell phone, send a text message to 40404 with the words follow fredcast. You will then receive all of my Twitter messages, but remember, regular text messaging rates apply. Of course, you can always send me an email anytime you like. My email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. And of course, I appreciate your audio comments, just like we got earlier in the show from listener Wes. There's a number of ways that you can send audio comments. Of course, if you know how to do it on your computer, you can send it by email or you can use Skype. My Skype name is The Fredcast, or you can call our listener hotline, area code 435-258-6FRED. That's area code 435-258-6373, or there are a number of ways using your computer and online software to send me voicemails, and those links are on the website at www.thefredcast.com. And it's time once again, as it is every week for Podsafe Cycling Music, but this week, as last, our music is coming to us from IOTA Promonet, and you can find a link in the show notes and in the Enhanced Podcast to IOTA Promonet. Tonight's artist is one you may have heard of before. It's Los Lonely Boys with a live version of Heaven. Links are in the show notes to where you can find and buy the song on iTunes, Amazon, or get more information about Los Lonely Boys. So... After more than an hour and 10 minutes, a relatively long show, I want to say thank you so much for listening to the Fredcast and all of the shows that we do here at the Fredcast. Thank you for staying subscribed, and thank you for helping me create the wonderful community that is the Fredcast. I really appreciate every single one of you. I'll be back again next week with another show full of news and features and reviews and your listener questions and comments and everything in between. But between this week and next, enjoy the music, but most of all, enjoy the ride.
Thank you very much. 